Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Hamilton's budget is going to cause some pain, short and long term. Who knows, the Bulldogs could get a new arena in Branford. Still many unanswered questions after a deadly fire in St. Catharines. More analysis on foreign election interference. Don't expect interest rates to drop anytime soon. And Bex is back with the hammers. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Speaking of money and paying through the nose, saying taxpayers are at their limit, a Hamilton councillor says he has not decided how he is going to vote on the city's 2023 budget. His name is John Paul Danko, councillor for Ward 8 with the city of Hamilton, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. JP, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thank you, Rick. I'm well. Uh, you tweeted yesterday, uh, quote, I honestly haven't decided how I will vote on the 2023 budget. What I do know, Ward 8 taxpayers are at their limit. There are some great news in this budget, smart investments and necessary action, but also a lot of provincial downloading and questionable tax and spend items. It sounds like, JP, that you're at a crossroads. I really am. Um, when I'm looking at this budget, we're looking at a 6.7% tax increase for Hamilton taxpayers on their property taxes. And the problem with that is Hamilton is about the middle of the pack when it comes to our comparators. We're looking at uh, Toronto, Peel, Burlington having slightly higher tax increases. Some of the other municipalities have slightly lower. But in Hamilton, we have uh, some of the lower um, income levels in, in the province. So the ability to pay in Hamilton is much better. And I've heard from taxpayers in Ward 8 and from across the city that 6.7% uh, is just too high. That's, you know, a few hundred dollars on the average uh, household. And I think for council, we need to really seriously look at our budget and consider what is absolutely necessary and what's not. We know that provincial downloading has been a thing for years now. What about the questionable tax and spend items? What is drawing your ire? Well, there's just been a few things that have been added to this budget that haven't gone through the normal rigor of the process that we would normally do. So when things are added to the budget, typically we would ask staff for a report. They would take a look at it. They would report back with options. Um, so there's a, a, you know, a fairly substantial amount of analysis and evaluation that goes into that. Um, alternatively, what I've seen this term, um, since this new term of council took over is, is some items have just been added with a councillor motion because, you know, well, I think this is the right thing to do, so I'm going to add it to the budget. And then all of a sudden we're ended up, we end up with, uh, you know, an item that is added to the budget with no transparency, no, no consultation. Um, and it, for me, I, I just think that's poor governance and it, it just rubs me the wrong way. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, John Paul Danko, Councillor for Ward 8 with the City of Hamilton. We're talking about the 2023 budget and all the pressures that have translated into a, at this point, still proposed 6.7% budget increase. And the budget is expected to be rubber stamped at the end of this month. Councillors did recently approve a $600,000 boost to their office budgets. Was that a mistake? Well, I think that's one of those things that the public looks at and says, you know, you're raising my taxes by 6.7%, but then you're also going to increase the, the, you know, the budget for your own offices at the same time. Like, really? Do you really need to do that? Do you really need to do that right now? Um, so that's one of those items that I think is a concern for me. At the same time, when I do look at this budget, there's some really great investments in here. 
We're investing in our climate change office because because we know long-term climate change is going to cost us more if we do nothing. We're investing in asset management or infrastructure, uh, which has been uh, woefully under-invested, uh, under-financed for years. We're investing in police. Uh, we're investing in encampment supports, which is desperately needed. Housing and homelessness, uh, you, you know, you were at crisis levels. Uh, the general manager um, has said that housing and homelessness sector is at the verge of collapse. So, you know, that's something that the province should be funding, but we have no choice. We have to backstop it because people are out on the streets. And then finally, we've seen a really great growth in, uh, in assessment. Um, so growth in multi-residential infill development and also growth in commercial and industrial tax base, which is great news for taxpayers because it helps shift some of that burden away from residential taxpayers. But overall, you know, just just looking at that number, that 6.7%, it's a huge concern. I don't know how close you are to uh, going with a no vote, but if you voted against this budget, do you think that some constituents are going to think, well, you know, here's Councillor Danko just trying to cover his butt uh, and say, hey, don't blame me for the tax increase because I voted against this? Well, I think from my perspective, I've always tried to be responsible and evidence-based in my decision-making process. And that's the the issue for me is if I vote against this budget, what would I be willing to cut? So when I'm looking at it, I see, you know, maybe a few million dollars, things like the office budget, a couple other things that, uh, you know, I, I think could be cut or postponed for to future years. But does that really make a difference in uh, what taxpayers are going to end up paying? So if we for every million dollars that we cut off this budget, it's a tenth of a percent which I don't think most taxpayers are even going to notice on their tax bill. To make any kind of substantial cuts, you know, $10 million is 1%. Um, and I really don't see at this point anyway, where we're, we're almost ready to pass the budget, I'm, I'm really struggling to find a substantial enough cuts that it would really be noticed by taxpayers. Last one for you, and we got a minute. You uh, tweeted recently, and I'm paraphrasing, that future budget pressures are only going to get worse in the years ahead. Do we have a sense of what next year's hike could possibly look like? Well, that's my biggest fear, is that this is not just a one-time, um, you know, fairly substantial tax increase. In future years, we still have all the inflationary pressures that we have right now. We still have all the issues with housing and homelessness that we're going to continue having to fund because the province won't. And then next year, we're looking at some really substantial uh, pressures on the budget through Bill 23 and the loss of development charges that, uh, you know, provincial downloading for growth and development, along with um, continuing to fund social services in Hamilton, again, which is a provincial responsibility, but uh, when there's nobody left, it falls to the municipal taxpayer. Well, it sounds like there's going to be short and long-term pain financially here for many taxpayers. John Paul, appreciate your time. Good luck with us. Thanks so much, Rick. That is Ward 8 Councillor John Paul Danko, City of Hamilton, chiming in on a lot of the pressures that are impacting the 2023 budget process. Again, that's supposed to be, expected to be at least, rubber stamped at the end of this month and uh, let the pain begin. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. The Hamilton Bulldogs going to be playing their hockey games in the Telephone City. And to that end, Branford Council recently voting unanimously to look at building a new OHL-sized arena in that city that, who knows, could convince the Bulldogs to say, you know what, let's stay in Branford even after the renovations at First Ontario Centre are completed. That 
that could happen. Kevin Davis is the mayor of the city of Brantford and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Mayor Davis, good morning. How are you? Rick, I'm feeling on top of the world. <laughs> sounds like it. And it sounds like your city is all in in keeping the Bulldogs in Brantford beyond the current lease agreement. First of all, Rick, I want to say to all the Hamilton Bulldog fans, as the mayor of the city, I'm extending a big Brantford welcome to join us in supporting the Bulldogs in the fall. And But yes, we did have a report this week uh, where we've given the the authority to further explore and investigate the options for a new entertainment sports facility. This was a unanimous vote. I want to reiterate that because I think that speaks to the level of excitement, not only in the council chambers, but also in the community. This buzz is certainly tangible. Yes, the buzz started immediately after council made its decision a month ago. Within 24 hours, 1,000 reservations were made for season tickets. Now I think it's up to around 25, 2,600. Yeah, so the, so the buzz started immediately and the buzz continues. Have you heard from the Bulldogs after they got wind of this arena possibility? No, I have not. Are, are you expecting to meet with them to say, hey, we, we could potentially do this, which might be enticing for you to stay here? Well, it's maybe a little early for that, but because uh, right now we're focusing uh, with the Bulldog ownership group, particularly Michael Andelar, in getting the current facility ready for the OA, ready for the team in the fall. And and I suspect that they'll want to see, you know, will this community support an OHL team before they want to talk about it seriously, I would think. We can't speak for them, but uh, I would think that would be a reasonable approach on their part. And frankly, I'm very confident that this community will demonstrate that it can support an OHL team. Kevin Davis is the mayor of the city of Brantford and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML as we talk about the possibility of that city building a brand new arena to potentially be the permanent home of the soon-to-be Brantford Bulldogs. Considering the current economic climate, inflation, the cost of living, are Brantford taxpayers on side, of the, on side with this? Are they in support of building a new arena? Well, first of all, Rick, a little early to, to know that because... The, what we decided was not that we we're going to build an arena, but we want to explore what's involved in, in a, new, a new arena, where we might put it, what the cost might be, how it might be financed. And there's lots of ways to finance projects like this without increasing property taxes. You just have to be prepared to be you know, innovative and look at what all the options are, not just simply increase property taxes to do something. You obviously Which is not my natural inclination. Yeah, you obviously have a good grasp of the city and, and how it's laid out. Is there a preferred location, or are you looking at several different locations that could um, be the home of this brand new arena? Well, there are several locations. It, it'll depend very much, obviously, on what what would benefit an OHL team, what will benefit the city. Uh, certainly, the area where the Civic Center is now, which is right next to our casino, right across from uh, from a shopping mall with all kinds of restaurants and whatnot. You know, my personal vision would see that area becoming kind of the entertainment and tourism center for the city. And this could be an important building block for that. But it may be that when we hear from those who know a lot more than me about this, that maybe that's not the best location. I'm not going to prejudge it. We'll wait to hear from all the stakeholders. Fair enough. Mayor Davis, thank you for your time today. Uh, Good luck down the road with us. We look forward to seeing you, Rick, and all those Hamilton Bulldog fans in Bramford next fall. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thank you, sir.
Okay. All right. That is Kevin Davis, mayor of the city of Brantford, joining us here on GMH. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Public meeting held last night in St. Catharines, dealing with January's deadly industrial fire at Sonics Products in that community. And we heard from a representative from the Ministry of the Environment. From a complaint perspective, um, we, did, we really didn't get many uh, for Sonics. Um, so there were plans to be there. Um, unfortunately, this incident happened before we could be there. This is a real head scratcher. As you know, the explosion and fire killed Ryan Conkin, a 37-year-old employee at the hazardous waste facility. The cause of the explosion is still unknown. It has left many residents, including Ryan's family and friends, wondering what exactly happened. Joining us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Natalia Sepuvelda Lastra, the fiancé of the late Ryan Conkin. Natalia, good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing okay, thank you. How are you today? I'm I'm good. I, I do want to ask you though. I mean, you you must still be going through a range of emotions as this process unfolds before all our eyes. How are you doing these days? Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's been a wave of emotions. Um, it's definitely something that I feel you can't prepare yourself for. Um, everything that comes into mind and everything really that just kind of is a process of grief, but it's it's something in itself. I, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. Absolutely I'm just not. kind of recently starting to kind of get out of my my little shell now. And that, that's good to hear. Were, were you able to attend last night's meeting? I did. I was there with my father. And what what is your takeaway from what was said last night? Well, a lot. That, uh, um, I found a lot that was kind of what we knew that um, part of the investigation will definitely take some more time that we can't get all the answers in that sense, which is unfortunate because, you know, as a family, we just want to know in order so we can proceed with, you know, with the healing part um, of such a traumatic accident. Yeah, that's got to be very difficult. Uh, And I'm sure you have like a multitude of questions about, you know, what exactly happened. Exactly. Exactly. What happened? Would it have been any different if, you know, there were certain things in place? Uh, Anything and everything has come to mind already. What I did find yesterday, though, at the community meeting was that um, there were a lot of members out there and everybody had questions. Everybody was concerned because... Yes, it was my family and everything that got affected, Ryan, and um, but communities were involved. Homes were so close by, children, people are worried about their families, um, the quality of life by having something like a company like this nearby. So there were a lot of important questions that were brought up, and I'm glad we had the space to kind of listen to all of that. Does that also, and this might be a weird question, but does that also give you a sense, a little sense of comfort knowing that you're not alone in this process? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think with something like this, the importance of community and just realizing that we can get a lot more done if we all work together. Because in these type of companies, they're just your regular day-to-day people. They're your neighbors, your brothers, um, your dad. These type of jobs are primarily, you know, just people we know and we need to protect them and we need to protect the people around these type of industries if we're going to let them allow uh, if we're going to allow them to work 
We have a couple more minutes with Natalia Sipoveta Lastra, the fiance of the late Ryan Konkin, who died following explosion and fire at Sonics products in St. Catharines back in January. And we learned last night that Sonics was due to have an inspection the week after this fire took place. And, and that must have been tough to hear last night because who yeah. knows that that inspection may have may have found a problem and may have prevented this tragedy. Are you kind of replaying all the what ifs? When I I didn't expect to hear that information last night. That was the first time I heard it. And I remember when I heard it, I started to shake. I it was like a punch to the gut. I told my my sister-in-law like I couldn't I couldn't imagine it. We knew for a long time that there were a lot of things that were going on there. Ryan was scared, you know. He would joke about it, about things that would go on at work. But at the end of the day, like, we always had these conversations of, do you want to stay here for that long? And so now to hear that it was a week after, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what to think about it. How Badly, are you yearning for some kind of closure, some kind of answer to, you know, prove what happened? It's all I want. Ryan would always tell me, try to be happy. Just be happy. And now I'm trying to understand what that means without him because he was my my everything. And now I, I just want to be able to make sure something like this doesn't happen to anybody else. And that's all Ryan would have wanted. Honestly, that's the only thing keeping me going at this moment is what can I do for Ryan? Well, that is a great legacy to have. And, and let's hope um, that you find that closure and you can get that happiness back in your life. Natalia, really appreciate your time. Thanks for opening up with us this morning here on Good Morning Hamilton. Thank you so much for having me, Rick. That is Natalia Sepuveta Lastra, the fiance of the late Ryan Konkin. We do know uh, as well that remediation efforts are going to be ongoing in this process to determine the environmental impact. As she mentioned, you know, this this was an explosion. They, they had a fire. You know, toxic chemicals were being spread, and we don't exactly know um, what type of chemicals were involved, how greatly spread they were, that investigation uh, is ongoing as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There will also be something called a rapporteur, a fake new position that they've invented. Rapporteur. Uh, does it come with a costume, maybe a cape or and a sword? Pierre Polyev mocking the idea of a special rapporteur to investigate election interference allegedly by China. And now two intelligence reports are raising questions But what exactly senior federal officials knew about this alleged foreign interference in Canada's last couple of federal elections? And and who knew what? As we welcome you back here to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Sam Routley is a doctoral student in political science at Western University and joins us now on GMH. Sam, good morning. How are you? Yeah, good morning, Rick. How are you? I'm good. Let's start with the, uh, the liberal government. How do you think the federal government, the Trudeau government, has handled this issue? Uh, well, it's definitely been a bit of a uh, crisis moment for them, I think. Uh, and they were very definitely kind of caught off guard by this. Um, and, and that's kind of made clear by the fact that they, Trudeau kind of had this very direct, reactive reaction to it, right? Denying the, the fact that there was any sort of involvement at all. And, and now that 
that's that's very clearly evident that there was some interference. Um, the government is now kind of being forced to to kind of try and um, kind of pursue these these further investigations. One of the moves made is uh, naming, or at least hasn't not yet named, but at least um, put in place this special rapporteur, and we're we're waiting to figure out who this person is going to be. Do you get the sense at the end of the day that this individual will ultimately recommend a full public inquiry? I mean, it's hard to tell. It's it's definitely this this very big job, and and, exi- and it's a high threshold for exactly the sort of individual that will meet the qualifications. Because you can you can see the opposition, for example, the fact that the government is appointing this, uh, a person to investigate them. You know, can can draw into question the entire kind of legitimacy of the of the process, and so trying to find somebody that doesn't have any sort of partisan baggage at all will be a bit challenging. But I mean, definitely, I think the government is trying to get into this and work through this in a way that they can sort of control the process. So, I mean, ultimately, whether or not it will lead to a full public inquiry is, is kind of unclear right now. Yeah, I'm in total agreement with you in terms of controlling the narrative, even after hearing the prime minister the other day saying, hey, listen, the, the opposition parties can come to the table and give us some names and we'll consider that for the special rapporteur. But at the end of the day, you know, that that individual will have the ultimate authority to say, all right, we're going to have a full public inquiry. But I don't, in my heart of hearts, think that the, the liberal government's going to say, yeah, we'll take a conservative-based rapporteur or an NDP-leaning rapporteur. We're going to make sure our person is there in that chair. Yeah, yeah, that's a challenge. And it, and it, and it can't be obvious, right? They, they sort of can't go to cabinet, pick a cabinet minister to do it, or some person who has some sort of past uh, allegiance or worked for the Liberal Party at all, right? And at the same time, right, like, like you said, they can't find someone who has any sort of um, connection to the conservatives or to the new Democrats. And so who is that exactly? Does, does anyone sort of fit that bill? Is 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 pretty hard. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Sam Routley, doctoral students in political science at Western Universities. We talk about the special rapporteur and the alleged election interference by China. Now, it's clear that opposition parties are not too impressed with how this is all um, shaken down. Jugmeet Singh saying, I think it was just yesterday, that he seems to think the government is hiding something, and I'm sure Pierre Paulia would agree with that. The issue is, is this big enough to test the liberal NDP supply and confidence agreement? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what's definitely kind of damaging about this is it's, it's potentially one of two things that the government is doing, you know, perhaps if not both, is that it's pretty clear that you know, for several years, they've, they've kind of been aware of this, right, of, of, of the Chinese interference and, and have been aware of the fact that uh, they've kind of served the benefit from it in, in a lot of ways. And so the question is, is, was the government sort of deliberately trying to keep it under wraps, to sit on it, to kind of continue reaping the rewards? Or uh, were they were they failing to do sort of any concrete action about it, right? So it's a, more of a competence issue. Um, and I mean, whether or not um, the new Democrats ultimately decide to kind of cut off their connection with the government over this is kind of unclear, I think, because um, the NDP have a lot of serve to, to benefit from the agreement, right? They, they've gotten a lot of policy concessions out of it. And I mean, if if it comes down to, a, to an election, I, I, I don't think the new Democrats are really in, in that great of a position. How dangerous do you think this crisis is 
to our electoral system? And maybe more importantly, do you think this is going to be a narrative in the next election campaign? Yeah, I mean, well, well, what the intelligence seems to suggest is it's not so much about the kind of electoral process itself, right? It's not about how the ballots are counted as much as it's about the fact that um, foreign actors, particularly China, but not exclusively China, are kind of funneling resources, whether that's financial or personal, um, to kind of manipulate Canadian voters to go a certain way. And I mean, the, the reality is, is that this is very much the new normal. The, the sort of U.S. has gone through the experience of, of kind of Russian interference. And I mean, exactly how the um, Canadian government, the Canadian intelligence uh, community kind of handles this problem is, is pretty important, I think, because it'll only, it'll only get worse uh, as the years go on, regardless of who's in power. And I mean, um, will it become an election issue? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think the, the conservatives will definitely... Would, would serve to benefit from trying to kind of bring forward policy proposals to kind of trying to prevent um, this sort of thing from happening in the future. Well, I can also see, and we've got about 90 seconds to chew on this, I can also see, let's just say the Trudeau Liberals win again in the next federal vote. I am almost certain that we're going to hear complaints from the other parties to say, well, was it legitimate? What were Were there bad actors involved in this whole process? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you, you can you can compare it to the to the experience that the U.S. went through in 2016-2020, right? That, 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 that the country was sort of immersed in this controversy over whether or not Trump, for example, uh, legitimately won that election, right, without without kind of Russian interference. But I mean, I, I think definitely the same thing will happen again. And I guess the challenge here is how do you, as a government and as an intelligence community, really persuade Canadians or at least demonstrate to them that the process is kind of fully legitimate and fully democratic. They got to be careful in doing that if that's going to be their messaging. Sam, thanks for your time today. Great chat. Enjoy the rest of the day. Yeah, thanks for having me. At Sam Routley, doctoral student in political science at Western University, as we talk about alleged foreign interference by China and, uh, well, supposedly some other nations as well. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Right now, we're talking about the Bank of Canada and interest rates. And as you heard yesterday here on 900 CHML, that the benchmark interest rate that the Bank of Canada sets that really dictates interest rates in this country uh, remained at four and a half percent. The first time in a long time, in about a year, that the rate was not changed. We had eight consecutive interest rate hikes that uh, caused a lot of financial pain. The question is, what does yesterday's decision mean for us going forward throughout the spring and summer months, certainly as we get set to travel a little bit more, a lot of people might open their wallets a little bit more freely, given that the interest rates are not going up. Jean-Paul Lamb is an associate professor of economics at the University of Waterloo and a former assistant chief economist at the Bank of Canada and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Jean-Paul, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm very well. How are you? Thank you for having me. I'm good. Thanks for coming back on the show. Yesterday's announcement, as you know, was was expected. How shocked would you have been if the Bank of Canada did anything else, either raise or lower the rate? I think it was highly expected that they would not move interest rates uh, yesterday. They, the previous announcement that they did in, uh, in uh, November, they announced that they would take a pause, basically, and look at the data and reassess how the previous increases in interest rates 
have been influencing um, inflation. And I think there's some good news and also some bad news on, on that front. We saw inflation fell significantly in January at to 5.9%. Uh, unfortunately, there are some components of inflation that are still fairly high, notably food and uh, transportation. So we're still very far from that 2% target that the Bank of Canada is trying to achieve. The other good news is that the increases in interest rate in the past are starting to have the effect that the Bank of Canada wants on the economy, that is to slow down the economy perhaps a bit too much because GDP growth in the first, the fourth quarter of 2023 was, uh, was flat completely. So yesterday's announcement was not a surprise at all, and I think the bank has made it very, very clear that going forward, they may leave interest rate where they are right now. So what did yesterday's decision signify to you, that the bank is, is just taking a wait-and-see approach at this time once again? We know that they were uh, they already said they're going to pause rates just to see how it's going. How, how long of a pause do you anticipate? So the past increases in interest rates are now starting to have to work through their effects on the economy. Uh, we know there are significant lags um, on on when interest rates start to have their effect on the economy. I think that's what they are looking at. We have had four and a half, four point two five percent increases in interest rate over the last sixteen months. That's something we've never seen in the past. I, I don't think any models can properly assess the effects of these huge increases in interest rates on the economy properly. So I think the bank knows that they need to uh, take a pause and look at the data that's coming in. And the data seems to indicate that finally inflation has peaked and is falling. But what they want to know is that they they need to see inflation coming back to the 2% target. So in this case, given that inflation has been extremely high and persistent in the past, they need to have clear evidence that inflation is finally going to 2% before they can uh, move interest rate down. So going forward, I, I think they've indicated clearly that if inflation continues on its trend, they will not change the course. That is, they will keep rates at it as they are right now, so high for a long period of time. So Canadians should brace for maybe not further increases in interest rate, but interest rates remaining high for a significant period of time. We have a couple more minutes with Jean-Paul Lamb, former assistant chief economist at the Bank of Canada, now an associate professor of economics at the University of Waterloo. That 2% target for inflation that the Bank of Canada is eyeing at when are we going to see that next? That that seems like light years from now. We won't see it certainly this year. Their forecast, the Bank of Canada's forecast, is for 2024, the mid 2024, and that's if everything goes and uh, breaks in their favor. That is, energy prices keep falling, food prices keep falling, and all the factors that we've indicated uh, came come true. So we're not expecting inflation to go back to 2% until mid-2024. Uh, uh, that's not surprising. Inflation, once it increases and once 
firms have increased their prices, it tends to be very, very sticky. And it takes a long time for these increases in interest rates to work their way through the economy. So we should be uh, bracing for much higher inflation for this year and uh, possibly next year. Jean-Paul, always appreciate your time. Thank you for your analysis and insight into this topic. Thank you very much. John Paul Lamb is Associate Professor of Economics at the University of Waterloo and a former Assistant Chief Economist at the Bank of Canada. As you heard, uh, inflation and uh, thus interest rates will remain high probably for the rest of this year and into well into 2024. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Canadian Premier League powerhouse Forge FC has re-signed its captain as the team gets set to make yet another run at the North Star Shield in 2023. Midfielder and captain Kyle Becker of Forge FC joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Kyle, good morning. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Sounds like re-signing was an easy decision. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it was always the plan to to come back and and be a part of this for a few more years. So I'm very happy that it's uh, it's all done now and and look forward to the season ahead. You're 32. Have you thought about how many more footballing years you have left? <laughs> I try not to think about it too much. Um, obviously, I know uh, I'm coming towards the end of my career, but I'm just trying to enjoy uh, enjoy as much of it as I can. I know I'm I'm very lucky to. To be able to do something that I dreamed of as a kid for a living, and uh, I want to keep uh, keep this thing going for a little longer. I would imagine that the success that you've had and that Forge has had is it means a lot more at this stage of your career than maybe something that you achieved earlier on. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I think um, the whole allure of, of of coming back in 2019 and joining this and, and being a part of the CPL was was to be a part of something that was much bigger than myself and and to be a part of something that opens more uh, more doors professionally to, to the next generation who are coming up and, and playing this beautiful game. And so I think uh, having the opportunity to be a part of that and then on top of it, the success that we've had as a, as a club and an organization in the last four years has, has been a, has been a fantastic uh, success and, and hope to hope to add a few more uh, titles to that cabinet. The Canadian Premier League is entering year five this year. A lot of people, when this first launched, thought, nah, it's going to last a couple of years and that'll be it. And uh, we'll be right back to square one in terms of football development in this country. Seeing that what you've seen, you know, relaying the experiences that you've had in this league, are you surprised at all at how good this soccer has been, how successful this league has been? Yes and no. I mean, I think uh, as a player myself, growing up in in uh, in Oakville in the GTA, there's always been an understanding that we have a ton of talent in this country. It was just we needed we needed more opportunities, and the fact that we we have that, and the the guys are kind of stepping up and showing what what we really have in this country and the talent that that is there, especially when you give it an opportunity, is is huge. And then I think uh, on top of it, I think people are seeing from a bigger picture just how big of a demand there is for this sport in this country. And I think we're seeing it from all the way from the top all the way down. And the success of our national team is fantastic. Um, and there's just a, a huge amount of growth on top of that. And you're seeing it within this league with, with new franchises coming in. So there is a demand for it and it's going to grow. I think we're going to have to, to remain, remain patient. But uh, I think it's a good sign that, that people want to get involved and, and there's going to be more, uh, more franchises in the years to come. Got about 40 seconds to talk about. You, you referenced it, the next generation and the national team. What's the likelihood? Because we know Canada is going to co-host the 2026 World Cup with the U.S. and Mexico. What's the likelihood that some CPL players are going to be a part of that national team? 
I don't think it would be a surprise to see someone who's who's graduated from the CPL and, and gone on to do something bigger be playing in that in that competition in 2026. Um, there's there's a another generation of of up and coming talent in this country, and if they can get their foot in the door to, to really see what the professional game is all about, then they're going to be able to continue to push themselves to that higher and higher level. And on the backs of what the the national team is doing, I think there's a, a ton of opportunity for that to happen. Start of the CPL season is going to be here before you know it. Forge will open up against uh, bitter rival Cavalry on April the 15th for game number one. Kyle, good luck in that game and the rest of the way here in 2023. Thanks for the time today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. That's Kyle Becker, midfielder and captain of three-time Canadian Premier League champions, Forge FC. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.